0: The goal of the company becomes growing aftermarket sales, and that is also growth. But think about that, usually there is no new customer acquisition cost, because those customers are already in your base, and growing that is high margin, annual recurring revenue.
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing.
2: Hey everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. One t-shirt takes around 700 gallons of water to manufacture. This is how important water industry is that not many people understand. Water industry also has Complex sales cycle with several handshakes in the process. And yet, it has one of the most legacy processes for the aftermarket industry, with the majority of the sales processes not being digital. But is that changing? Would existing solutions in the market be sufficient for the water industry? If not, then what do we need? How different would be the digital commerce solution for the water industry? And how? This industry can prepare for digital transformation. In today's episode, our guest Noemi Kiss shares her insights into how water industry works and how their sales cycle differs from other industries. She also provides some facts about the water industry and how many stakeholders are going to be involved in it. Finally, she provides her insights into buying groups, payment flows, roles and responsibilities of different players involved in the sales cycle and supply chain. Let me introduce Noemi to you. Noemi Kiss is the founder and CEO of Monitor. She is an expert in the industrial sector, helping aftermarket service and sales teams in manufacturing automate low-value spare part sales and grow recurring revenue by connecting to their install base list. Originally born and raised in Hungary, after spending time in South Africa, she moved to the US for enhanced economic opportunities, which instilled in her a determination to make a difference and impact 10 years ago. She founded Western Aroa Federal Government Contractor and later Equacote, a marketplace offering aftermarket industrial products, who since has served the Navy. NASA, SpaceX, USDA, DoD and Lockheed Martin to name just a few. Then after experiencing the inefficiencies and manual processes in the aftermarket sector, she was inspired to start a new company to automate manual processes and take transactions online. Her latest venture, Monitor, is an out-of-the-box cloud-hosted platform that helps aftermarket service teams turn low-value, high-volume part sales into a predictable revenue stream by engaging their install base directly throughout the equipment life cycle. Passionate about entrepreneurship, Noemi also served on the board of the Entrepreneurs' Organization membership committee for three years. These days, she lives in Southern California with her husband and continues to pursue her goals of industrial Sector innovation. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Noemi, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Sam. Happy to be here.
2: Okay, and I am super excited to have you as well because the kind of expertise that you bring from the water industry, we have done a couple of episodes, uh, but their perspective was very in the industry 4.0 space. But today uh, it's going to get far more business perspective, and that is always very useful for our listeners. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus?
0: Absolutely. Um, Thanks, Sam. Um, So I am actually a water industry veteran. I've been in the industry for around 12 years. And I first founded my company called Western RO in the water space 10 years ago. And that company is a federal government contractor. And that's where I really got the experience of... Selling um, through manufacturers as a distribution company um, and got to know really the value chain really well, as well as the systems of how transactions are done in this space and all of the different players. And, you know, through this company, we've been lucky enough to serve the Navy, VA, USDA, Lockheed Martin, just to name a few. Yeah. So what happened after is, you know, during this time, I learned the inefficiencies in the market and all of the manual processes. I'm really, uh, Sam, a stickler for I just want to get things done efficiently. Okay. Right. Yeah. And and I was frustrated personally by these various processes. Why do we have to email somebody or at least five people to get a simple lead time? Right. right. When this should be already available. So I launched a marketplace, a global marketplace called AquaQuote, that was focusing on, that is currently focusing on industrial products by major brands industry. Yeah. And this is really to solve out, solve some of the needs and the inefficiencies in the supply chain yeah. by digitizing and aggregating product data, suppliers, warehouses, locations. So this is where I really learned on a more personal note on how to transition a completely offline business to online sales that really transforms the customer experience. And I've learned some interesting things. For example, um, we search for products in our space come from a lot of Google. And we've had companies like SpaceX, NASA, and ISCO come to us from Google. And just to say, what does that tell you about the inefficiencies of the supply chain when a launch engineer from SpaceX has to search on Google for critical parts right right um so this experience um, you know um I really after this moved on to focus on aftermarket service teams because they are left out of the b two b e commerce yeah because they are yeah. more complex. They're dealing with complex sales that really um, have custom installs, multiple locations, and a lot of complexity with ordering. So this is my current focus on a more personal note. I was born and raised in Hungary. I, um, spent some time in Cape Town, South Africa.
2: Very cool. Uh, with my
0: parents. And then they actually brought me and my sister to the United States, you know, and, and because of that experience, I'm really finding myself driven to really make a difference and impact. Um, I currently live in Southern California with my husband and, um, our dog. And um, I'm really passionate about, you know, innovating in the industrial sector. So that's a little bit on me.
2: Very cool. And I think this is the first time we are having somebody from uh, Hungary. And I think, you know, we are becoming far more global overall in terms of our presence. Uh, So good for us. Thank you so much for being here. By the way, I really like your perspective, you know, about getting things done. I mean, that's the mindset we also share Uh, you know, in general, and I think, you know, everybody should be focusing on getting things done. So obviously, there are a lot of layers to the conversation that you mentioned, and we want to touch on a lot of them, whatever we can cover during the time uh, that we have, uh, you know, as part of the episode. But before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, and that is going to be your perspective on business growth.
0: All right. I really love this question, Sam, because it's uh, something everybody cares about as business owners, especially, right? And when I find that when a company is not growing, they're staying the same, they're never staying the same, it's always decreasing. So we always have to be focused on growth, right? And um, what what I really think is important is that growth can be good and bad. So growth really should be looked at as on top of a really good foundation so let's say that um, there's a company that has a service team right. right and the service team and the company's goal is to scale the service team yeah. because they are yeah. scaling the number of installations and they're going to need to scale the service team and that is a really good out goal right and I'll come yeah. to to uh, handle the growth now let's let's assume that the service team is um, spending 50 percent of their time on manual processes right so they are uh going on a answering phone calls where the operators are calling them saying we have this um this uh problem with the equipment and then they have to call maybe even go on site input that order get the part number find the serial number try to um, do the situation. And there's probably 10 touch points just for getting that customer what they need. Yeah. And then not even talking about the step of really um, getting the manual appeals and the ordering process and collecting payment. Right. Yeah. And so when trying to scale a service team that way, on top of that, bad foundation, you're really going to be just spending uh, way too much on on trying to scale on top of manual processes. Um, So that's how one, the first thing. And the second um, point I wanted to make on growth is what are the key um, KPIs that we should be growing, right? Um, Because there are really two things. Are the company can have the outcome, we want to grow capital sales, right? And with growth of capital sales, it will increase the top line but you also have the high customer acquisition cost yeah. with capital sales. And they are also one time sales. Yeah. So you're constantly yeah. having to go out. But let's say that the goal of the company becomes growing aftermarket sales. Right. Right. And that is also growth. But think about that. Usually there is no new customer acquisition cost. Yeah. Because those yeah. customers are already in your base, right? Yep. I agree. And growing that is, um, you know, high margin, annual recurring revenue. Right. So I think growth should be really looked at uh, what is the foundation we're building upon, number one. And number two is what are the actual KPIs that are the lowest hanging fruit that we want to go after?
2: Okay, very cool. So, uh, you know, again, I think, you know, I want to touch on a lot of different layers and this conversation can go in any direction. Uh, But, you know, the main thing that I would like to understand from your perspective, and before I met you, to be honest, I had never seen anybody speak about the water industry, because in my experience, I would think that that's probably very small. Uh, You know, who cares for water industry? Uh, But now you are actually building a business, uh, you know, around the water industry, right? So I'm pretty sure that's substantial enough. Uh, overall from the market perspective. And that's why you are trying to position yourself in the water industry. So now, one of the things that I would like to understand is how many different players are involved in the water industry? And number one, what is the scope of water industry? That's first thing. Because, you know, is it going to be just the companies that are producing drinkable water? Or is it going to be other companies that are going to be involved in the, I don't know, sewer services? Uh, you know, so so describe the scope. Describe how many different players are involved in the industry and how the value chain is structured for water industry.
0: That's a great question. Um, And it's a really important question because it's, you know, um, sustainability and resilience in the water space has really become a focus um, as of late. And what is really interesting about the water industry that I think many people don't know is that water is required to manufacture almost everything. Right. And yeah. uh, most people think, you know, it's municipalities and it's the drinking water that is really the water industry, but just to give you perspective, yeah. Um out of the available water that we have to us, 70% of that goes to the industrial side. Huh. And so out of all of the water, only 30% is the drinking water that we have. So that's 70% really spans across all industries so in pharmaceuticals right so you need ultra pure water and a lot of it is used coca-cola you might have heard you know all these big companies apple coca-cola really going to a net water use right where um, and it's really important because there is a lot of water being used um, up for industrial processes Um, I'll give you an example. So one T-shirt takes around 700 gallons of water to manufacture one T-shirt. Oh, wow. Yes. And I believe an iPhone is around uh, 200 to 300 gallons of water to manufacture. Right. So think think about all of the things we use around us and everything takes water. So it's a critical industry. Critical And it's a big industry, you'd be surprised now knowing the scope of all industries are using water to manufacture products. It's a really big industry and we were talking hundreds of billions of dollars globally. I believe the last number I heard is around 200 billion globally. Yeah. And and so that includes um, every type of water equipment, capital, aftermarket um, service. Um, So and another thing I'd like to add regarding the water industry is it's been consolidating a lot with large companies. Right. So there's on the top, there's probably 10 very large uh, companies, OEMs, that really um, have been consolidating uh, by smaller companies. But then what's interesting is there is. A very large, actually, uh, makeup of smaller mid-sized companies okay. that are okay. very highly fragmented, um, and so they, these uh, companies are really the ones that are the boots on the ground that are supporting the service and the equipment and and sales for most of the operations um, in uh, not only water treatment plants okay. but food okay. and food manufacturing and every industry you can imagine
2: very 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 interesting okay so i think you know this is definitely fascinating for me because obviously i did not know that for a t-shirt you require 700 uh, gallons of water for iphone i think you mentioned 200 gallon so for t-shirt i can probably visualize that you know they have to wash multiple times to be able to produce the t-shirt i guess uh, but do you want to paint a little bit color in terms of why is water required let's say in case of iphone Is it really to produce the electricity or is the water really being used in the manufacturing process? So paint a little bit more colors in terms of how and where the industrial water is being used in the manufacturing process.
0: Absolutely. So it can be used in many ways. Um, Let's say for industrial processes and manufacturing, there's a lot of water that is in wastewater. So for industrial Manufacturings you create a lot of wastewater, especially in meat production and and uh, all kinds of uh, manufacturing processes. so that water has to meet certain specifications and regulations before it can be reused or even disper- you know dispensed of right disposed of yeah, because the um environmental protection agency, the EPA yeah really yeah. um regulates that, and so I've seen. Very very large fines for companies yeah. that really spend up to hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour. Okay. that if that water is dispensed that does not meet the requirements of the EPA for disposal, and so this is one part of the the wastewater aspect. But then there's other aspects that are used for the actual um, you know uh, water cooling manufacturing processes, yeah. And, yeah. and 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 um, various other technologies.
2: Very interesting. Okay, so I need to know a little bit more overall in terms of the scope of water, why we are using so much water, and I definitely have a problem with that. Uh,
1: okay, so <laughs> let's say if I am
2: the small manufacturer, okay, at what Stage? Do I need to comply with these these standards? So let's say if I'm opening a meat factory, you know, I have this one site, uh, and I obviously have a lot of water that needs to go somewhere, and I'm not allowed to just throw away somewhere. Uh, so I need to treat it before I can throw it somewhere. Uh, so okay, at what stage am I going to be responsible for treating it before I am going to be called by big cops that you know what? You, you are not doing things right. So tell us the size in terms of at what stage these companies are really responsible of treating any of the wastewater before uh, before they are going to get called.
0: Absolutely. So the most important process is before it's dispensed into. You know, sometimes it goes uh, back into city water and yeah. the municipality will take it back and treat it. And they actually charge a premium when uh, that water that you send back to them does not meet specific requirements, because then they have to spend extra money and extra time to get that treated to be ready for municipal water. Right. Um, and and so that is one example of that that I can say. But it's um, certainly a very important part of water treatment companies and the way that it comes into and plays into the equipment side is that these um equipment manufacturers you know they are the ones who are often servicing the equipment that they manufacture on the customer side right so they are now responsible for not only Um, having the maintenance but also the critical parts that go into this equipment. So imagine how important it is to have these processes be very proactive instead of reactive because you realize that a membrane system or some type of the water quality changed and it ruined the main part of the system which is the reverse osmosis membrane let's say yeah your yeah. system is down and let's say that membrane has a 12-week lead time okay and let's say okay. that you were not proactive in having a stocked inventory for that right and it can either be at the plant level yeah or it can either yeah. be at the service providers level whoever is really responsible to making sure that that's a proactive process instead of a reactive. And too often it's reactive. Yeah. And so imagine that in this critical situation, right? where it's causing a complete shutdown of the entire plant until this can be fixed.
2: Okay, so very cool. So now, obviously, you know, I am completely sold on uh, this convenience. Obviously, it is going to be very convenient for the users if they uh, are able to successfully transition in the digital mode. It's not Mm -hmm. going to be as painful, but my... Question is going to be that okay? There are a lot of companies in the aftermarket space at this point of time. Uh, you know that are probably doing similar things. Uh, obviously, the aftermarket is where the real pain is. A lot of companies are trying to build, uh, you know, several field service capabilities. Uh, and yes, that is going to be needed. But one of the most confusing part for a lot of our listeners and the customers always is going to be too many systems. <laughs> okay, and which one is going to be the right fit for me? So in your case, you are going after the aftermarket. In your argument, when you were trying to describe this, you said that, you know what, if you have the system integrator, and I'm actually going to use an example of, let's say, we are talking about Rockwell ecosystem, they have probably a million system integrator in their uh, ecosystem, right? So all of those are probably going to be the system integrators that we are talking about. But they typically don't focus on just the water industry. So when they are going to be working, you know, they are going to be working on any equipment uh, that these companies may have. So, what is so unique about water industry? Why the digital commerce processes are going to be different for the water industry compared to other OEMs who are trying to sell other equipment? So,
0: to answer that question, I think um, it's important to note the some of the complexities that are in the water industry. Okay.
1: And okay. this
0: is, um, I think, a lot of manufacturers. Uh, really resist that digital um, side and really going um, into the digital because they say we have so many complex processes, right? How are we all ever going to do this? It will take us years to even implement. And then you're right, Sam, the systems will not talk to each other and we'll have duplicates and it's going to be a nightmare, right? So we're not even going to start. Um, Joe is answering the phones. It's working fine. You know, we're just going to do this. Um, So And I understand that perspective, right? Because you have um, a system around these manual processes that are, so to speak, working, right, for now. But here's the important part, I think. the uh, One way that I would say this is very unique is that there are a lot of different players in the value chain. So you may have an equipment manufacturer that... Sells uh, through a distribution network or dealer network their equipment. Yeah. Then you have really hybrid models where they do both. They sell direct. Then there's manufacturers that not only sell the equipment, they also go in and uh, service the equipment. So they offer service level agreements with with that customer, right? So there are a lot of different um, types of um, services that are being offered. Then let's move into the other complexity which really comes around service, maintenance, and part sales, Yeah. right? So in an equipment where there is a lot of maintenance, what you're going to find is that there are information silos around the equipment maintenance logs as well, because oftentimes the end user will use a CMMS, an asset management, right? Where they log their maintenance and they also have the equipment in the plant set up hierarchically and they can search through an asset management then you have a manufacturer that would like to get that customers um you know collaborative information what has been done on the maintenance on your side because maybe they're both responsible for some maintenance right so if we don't know what has been done on the equipment we are not uh, well-equipped to really help if we don't know what new pump has been installed yeah. or when, um, when the last maintenance was done. So these complexities really make it more difficult for the systems to work well together because you're missing information and they're in different software talking to each other. So what I recommend for all of this is really to start small, right? Yeah. So I'm really of the entrepreneurial mindset, right? So <laughs> it's it's really instead of going into a a very big project and saying it's going to we're gonna spend two years setting this up and it's going to look like this and we're committing the time and, and everything. I believe it's good to make that plan. We have to make that plan, that detailed implementation plan and very detailed outcomes. But it has to be phased out and it has to be started very small and yeah. even you know as small as let's start a very simple add to cart functionality yeah and let's yeah. pick a customer segment to test it with right and then you may find that some customers say well we don't have mobile capability in the plant. yeah and then um you know others will say well um We have um, we're not allowed to use outside, you know, because it's a regulatory issue outside software in the plant, So or any kind of mobile phones. Um, So unless you have very direct data from the customer on how they're using your system and how they're buying the process now and then going into the plant and actually saying, can you actually show me? I'm going to show you the system. Show me how you would use it. And then you can see the customer actually saying, wait, this part number, you see them trying to identify the part number from the equipment. And then you see them looking maybe for the drawing or the spec sheet. And then you're like, well, why are you looking for the spec sheet? Well, I thought it was here, but this is, I didn't realize it's in this binder. And then you can make a decision oh, wait, the spec sheet is folder for them. So they can easily find it because they look for it at the time of maintenance. And these are just examples, but sometimes looking at from a really big macro view is important because you have the KPIs and outcomes that you have to really go narrow right, and deep and look at a segment of five or 10 or 20 customers, test it out, get feedback, and then implement that solution and scale it to your next customer segment, right? And that's how I think it's it's best done for such complex industries.
2: Okay, amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last-minute closing advice or remarks
0: for our listeners? Um, You know, I um, believe that growth is really important, and um, what's important is um, to become to know that digital is coming to the B two B space and to really pay attention to what are our customers doing. Industrial B2B buyers are looking for our products online. They are expecting an amazing online experience. And so the manufacturers that will give them that experience, they will really continue to take more and more of the market share moving forward. So I'm really grateful to be here, Sam. This was wonderful having this conversation with you, and I appreciate it.
2: Okay, amazing. And I could not agree more. I think, you know, you are right that the digital is uh, coming for the industrial uh, B2B buyers and the experience is going to be super critical for the competitive advantage. And also my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be that water industry is super complex overall in terms of the number of hands, the number of touch points that are going to be involved. Uh, And the more touch points you have in the process, the more failure points you are going to have. And obviously, when you have that, your experience is not going to be as great. So if you are trying to create the experience as the competitive advantage, make sure you are really thinking deep how you can enable that experience. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode.
0: Thank you, Sam. Of course. I cannot
2: thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests. And hopefully, you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Noemi, head over to Monitor. Dot com. It's M-O-N-I-T-T-O-R.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Pratik Joshi, who shares his insights into the operational data platforms and their role in the enterprise architecture for manufacturing companies. Also, the interview with Michael Box, who shares his insights on the marketplace business model and the challenges associated with launching it. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS
1: Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.